Unapologetic. All right. So um, turn in your Bibles to the book of Acts. Um, we will we'll try to fly through this material. The book of Acts is uh, it's an American type of book. You know, it is the Acts of the Apostle. And so it's very action oriented and it's moving as Americans, as Westerners. We love movement. We love it to go. But we need to know that the book of Acts is preceding, you know, it's, it's, it's right after, not preceding, it's, it's, uh, what precedes the book of Acts is the Gospels. Uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is, are right before the book of, book of Acts. And what you need to know about this book is that it was penned or it was written by a guy named Luke. And Luke pens a gospel, the gospel of Luke, and then also pens uh, the book of Acts. And these two letters to one guy, a guy named Theophilus, you don't need to know all that, but anyway, these two letters are truly important to understanding the mission of Jesus. Acts, all right, this book of action, this, this Acts of the Apostle, is building on what, what Luke has already said in his gospel about Jesus. So we need to understand that. Because what Jesus has done for the last three years, right? Jesus' ministry was three years uh, long. He heals the sick. He makes the, the lame walk. He forgives sins. There are dead people. He raises them out of the grave. I mean, it's just an extraordinary three years. But in the most climactic moment in human history, Jesus then lays down his life. We, some of us have heard this before, but he lays down his life. He actually uh, puts himself underneath Roman rule to be killed for us, taking sin and shame upon himself in his death. But then, three days later, he rises again. And just everything just explodes from that point on because all of the prophecies and all the things that were said about the Messiah are actually coming true in Jesus in, in time and space. And so this very first chapter of Acts, Jesus is on the planet and Jesus is still ministering, and Jesus is still teaching, and st Jesus is still with his disciples. But something is about to change. Um, he's about to say, um, hey, I'm about to leave, and I'm about to go. And so the, here in first chapter of, of Acts, the disciples because their muscle memory is there, their muscle memory is, hey, Jesus, are you still going to do these things? Jesus, are you still going to be an amazing teacher? Jesus, are you still going to do ministry? And this is, this is what we, we find here in our passage. So just know that's a little bit of the context. So verse 4 and following goes like this. This is Acts chapter 1. Again, it's in your, it's in your worship guide on the front if you want to follow along there or in your Bibles. Now, while staying with them... He ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which, he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but I will, but I will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Verse 6 and following says this. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? The disciples here, and this is what you need to understand, the disciples are doing what they've always done. They, they're pivoting to Jesus, and they're saying, so are you going to continue to do certain things? And their pupils, their eyeballs, their attention, their motivation, everything goes back to Jesus with this question, Lord, Lord, uh, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? This is a very natural thing for these disciples to do, to look at Jesus and ask his advice or ask what the future is about to behold because he's been able to provide that for them for three whole years. 
And so first and foremost, you need to know this, this idea is, is that these two questions, and this is your first fill in the blank, is, is they, these disciples are saying, will you, Jesus, continue the ministry that we are used to? And so Acts 1-6, it can be boiled down to, like, to these two questions. What are you going to do, Jesus? All right, that's the first fill in the blank. What are you going to do? We expect it. We believe it. We believe that you are about to do something remarkable. And then are you going to do it right now? And so these are the kind of the, the, the things that are in their heart. Like, Jesus, you're about to do something. And can you do something right now? We want to see more because, man, you have, you have I mean, you're, you've raised from the dead. And it really is amazing. But Jesus says no. He says, no, I'm actually, I'm going to leave. I'm actually going to leave you to yourself. Jesus is, is, I mean, just, it's remarkable in that moment where he says, no, no, I'm not. I'm actually leaving. That's a critical point for all of us to look at Jesus and ask him, will you? And he kind of pulls back and he says, no. Um, as teenagers, we go through some of these moments where we're starting to understand independence, right? And so when we turn 13, that's kind of the first step. Like, wow, I'm a teenager. That's amazing. The next step is pretty amazing is that when your, your dad or your mom hands you the keys to the car, that's really, really remarkable, right? Because this is a moment of independence where they're like, no, you are. And they actually trust you with the keys. There's a famous communicator that tells a story like this. He says that when he turned 16, he went to his dad to the DMV or wherever you go to get your license, those types of things. But he goes to get his license. It's amazing. He passes his test. He comes back home. Brothers, sisters, mom, aunts, uncles, they're all there like, you made it. I can't believe it. You made it, right? And so everybody's celebrating. And he's like, yeah, I was able to pass the test. And so dad has bought him a beater. You know, it's like a 1942, you know, something, right? It doesn't have a muffler, or, you know, it's a two, I mean, it's just, it's a beater in the car. And so everybody's celebrating. And he says, but I could tell that my eyes locked with my father's. He left the room and he came back in. And so in, a, in kind of a, they locked his eyes and his dad like pulls out of his pocket and he grabs another set of keys and he tosses him, you know, the keys. And so he catches the keys and these are the keys to dad's car. It's not the beater. This is dad's car, the one, the most expensive car in the driveway. You know, this is, these are dad's car. And so in that moment, dad says, these, these are the keys. I want you to take it. Here's what I've done. I filled up the car. It's a full tank. I want you to go, and I don't want you to come back until it's empty. Man, now that's independence, right? That's remarkable. When your dad gives you the keys to his car and a full tank of gas and permission not to come back until it's empty, man, are we going to have fun, right? So in that moment, he's looking to his son and he's saying, right, you now have the responsibility. I want you to actually do the things that I do. I want you to start acting the way that I have acted, but when he tosses his keys, he actually is saying something more. He's saying, I trust you. And that is something totally different altogether. And so when Jesus, when, when they're asked, when the disciples are looking at Jesus and saying, will you, will you? And he says, no. This is a moment of responsibility, sure, on the disciples. But it's also a moment in human history where Jesus, the Messiah, looks at fallen people who are constantly making mistakes and saying, no, I trust 
you. Verse 6 and following. It goes like this. And so will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons, but the Father has fixed by my own authority. Verse 8. But you, as he's looking at you now, looking at the disciples, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This is Jesus looking and pivoting and saying, no, you will. And this is really, really remarkable. Like, Jesus, are you going to do something remarkable? Jesus, are you going to continue to teach? Jesus, are you going to do this? And Jesus, metaphorically, right, he tosses the keys to the disciples. And he goes, nope, you will. That is an amazing moment where dad tosses all of us the keys. And when we catch it, We feel privileged, right? But it's also very humbling because he is trusting us with something. There are three you wills in this this passage that I think that we'll we'll get to, hopefully. The first one is, now you will receive power in the Holy Spirit. That's the first one. And so this is what, what will happen. You're about to receive the Holy Spirit. The second thing that will happen is that you will be my witnesses. And that is another remarkable statement. And the thirdly is that you will go. You are not going to stay here, but it's actually going to extend beyond this time and this place. You're concerned about this time and this place, but I'm actually going to expand. It's going to move on. You will actually move beyond these borders. You are going to go. So the first thing, you will receive power in the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, the Holy Spirit that, is, that has raised me from the dead, right, is going to live inside you. The Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit. Listen to this passage. Romans 8, 11 says this. And the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. That's crazy. That's a lot of power. I mean, the Holy Spirit, I mean, he's, he's mystical. We're not real, real sure. But you just need to look at a dead guy, and he's now alive and going, something is up. That is powerful. All right? We have doctors in the rooms, and we have all kinds of, of people that know the human body. We're not able to yank, right? And we're not able to, to reverse that. But Jesus is saying, the same spirit that rose Jesus from the grave lives in you and will, versus, uh, this is 8.11 still, Romans 8.11, and give life to your mortal bodies. This is the type of power that is going to, going to walk alongside you in this mission. And so this, this idea is that, that this, this, this raised Jesus from the grave type of power, this is remarkable. I mean, this is remarkable. The raise Jesus from the grave type of power is actually going to dwell in you. Wow. You will be my witnesses. The power of Jesus, right, is now dwelling in you. Thank you for that. That's amazing. It's amazing. It is. It's truly amazing that he will give a gift of the Holy Spirit to you and me. Time out real quick. But who's he, who's he entrusting this valuable gift to? A bunch of yahoos, 
right? A bunch of idiots. I'm glad the elementary students are no longer here, right? A bunch of dum-dums, right? I mean, just, just a, I think about just two verses later. They've got their theology wrong. They've got their timing wrong. I mean, just, they're, they're, just, they're just off. And yet it, he doesn't bat an eye. He says, but you will receive the power of the Holy Spirit. The second thing is you will be my witnesses. It was really, really remarkable. Not only will you receive the Holy Spirit, but in verse 8 it says this, but you will be my witnesses. You will be my witnesses. So what does a witness do? They testify in court. What does a witness do? They tell the policeman what, what they saw. What does a witness do? They're able to talk. They're able to tell you what they saw. What does a witness do? Well, they just they are an ambassador. They're speaking on behalf of someone else. This is what a witness will do. It really, really is remarkable. If you've got a half sheet that says on mission together, this is how we've defined this. And so I know we've got you, we've got you littered with all kinds of stuff. Again, we're not going to apologize because... We're trying to equip you and, and try to uh, train you up a little better. But here's what a witness is. The very first bullet point there in the middle of the page is someone who shares the gospel with the intent of planting, watering, or harvesting faith in Jesus with, uh, with, in their immediate context. That's what a witness does. He's able to share. He's able to talk the things of Jesus. And this is what he's able to do. The disciples, and I think this is what we're just naturally doing, we lean and this is the kind of where I want the penny to drop for all of us. Jesus, are you going to teach some more? Jesus, are you going to continue to confront these guys? Because, you know, we don't, we don't like them either. Are you going to comfort the comfort? You know, are you going to do these things? And Jesus says, no, you will. I mean, that's bold to say, no, you will be my witnesses. This is what you're going to do. Luke is a great writer. I mean, just it's, it's beautiful Greek. It's just he's, it's very sophisticated and wonderful. He doesn't put anything out of place. It really is an amazing manuscript. And so if you go all the way up to the very first verse in your Bibles, or maybe you have it, it's not printed in your bulletins, but if you look at the very first verse of this book, it says, in, in the first book, O Theophilus, meaning the gospel of Luke and now the, 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 the gospel of Acts to the apostles, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. And I think the idea here is in the first gospel, the gospel of Luke, this is how Jesus began to do things and to teach certain things. But now I'm starting a second letter, right? And I think the idea here is that there is going to be a continuation of teaching and doing by Jesus, but Jesus is gone. So how is that going to happen? How is Jesus going to continue to teach? How is Jesus continue to work and do things even though he is gone, he has ascended into heaven? He says it right here that you will be my witnesses. We are going to be his mouthpiece to the world. And it really is remarkable. Meaning that Jesus is gone. The teacher is gone the authority is gone. The wisdom is gone, and he doesn't bat an eye because he says, no, you're going to be the one that teaches. 2 Corinthians 5.20. I didn't print it in your little, in your little um, uh, but you probably should write it down. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.20 says this, Therefore, we are ambassadors. That's another word, uh, you know, for witness or testimony. You are, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though, and this is the phrase, as though God were making his appeal through us. 
How is God going to make his appeal to the world? Through us. This is remarkable stuff, and it really is beautiful. So the fill in the blank is just to let that settle in for a little bit, that when we tell someone about Jesus, when we're talking about Jesus, when we're sharing him, they are hearing Jesus's words through us. They're hearing Jesus through us. He's going to give life to our mortal bodies. It really is great. So the new iteration of the kingdom is that we are going to be his witnesses. This should sober us. We should feel completely humble under this idea that he's going to use us. And yet it should be truly exciting that we are now the mouthpieces of Jesus himself. You will be my witnesses. That means you are going to be my teachers and you are going to be my preachers and you are going to do these things. It really, really is amazing. And it happened. The book of Acts, more than any other book, is this idea of expansion. This idea that it's going to go forward, and it does. It starts in, verse, uh, in chapter 6, 7, and then it moves on to Acts 12, 24, and then 13, 49, then 16, 5, and then Acts 19, 20, that the word of God increased. It continued to go forward. You will be my witnesses, and it happened, and it did. So much so that here in the hills of East Tennessee, 20, I mean, 2,000 years later, we are here telling and hearing God's very word. It's going to expand, and it's going to continue to increase. It really is. It really is something to behold. The third thing is that um, you will go beyond these borders. You will go. Verse 8 follows like this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. And then there's a hard comma in Judea and Samaria, hard comma, and then to to the ends of the earth. And so this is the third you will. You will go. You will be my witnesses, but there is a trajectory. It's going to start here, but it's going to end up out there. It's going to continue to grow. And so how is the Holy Spirit is powerful? Well, the Holy Spirit is powerful because it's expansive. It's strong. It's going to force its way through barriers that knows no geography, that knows no political reign, doesn't know language. It's going to burst through all of that. You're not going to be not only be my witnesses, but you're not going to stay here, right here in this time and place, but it's actually going to expand through there. It's, 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 it's wild. And so first and foremost, where, where are you going to go? First and foremost, you're going to be in the city in which you dwell. You're going to actually be in Jerusalem. All right? Then you're going to be in just your region, your district. You're going to be in Judea and Samaria. And this is what should capture your heart this morning, is where are you? Because God has strategically placed you where you are. You may not be there tomorrow, but you are there now. He, Jesus, right, has strategically, Acts 17 tells us, he knows times and places, he knows where you're going to dwell. He has put you there. And so we are to be in our city, and we are to be in our region. And that's what it means to be in Jerusalem. That means we, we should love Johnson City. We should love where we dwell. We should love 3305 Bondwood Circle and every, everybody around them. We should love these people. 
We should love our city, but we should also extend into the Tri-Cities. We should love where we live. We should love Appalachia. We should love the 423. I mean, this is who we are. I mean, T-shirts, 423. This is who we are because this is where God has placed us now. We should love it here because Jesus loves it. And Jesus loves it so much to put you right where you're at. He's going to make his appeal through you where you're at in Jerusalem and then into the regions. And we do that and, again, kind of just look back at that half sheet. We, we have these ministry partners and these church planting initiatives. We want to be on mission together as we link up with these unbelievable organizations that love the gospel and love the people and love them where they're at. And we just want to partner with them over and over and over. We want to just send money and we want to send y'all and mobilize you to these places because we believe in them so very much. We want you to be on mission where you're at, in your city and in your region. But then he says, he changes his preposition. Sam, preposition two. Okay. Uh, he changes the preposition. It wasn't in my notes. I was like, oh no. Changes the preposition. He's not just, you're just not in these places, but you're going somewhere. You're going to someplace. And that's a big difference. It's a big difference. You're not just in a place, but you're going to a place. And the two is to the ends of the earth, to a place that you have never seen, to a people group that you've never met, to languages that you can't understand, to a demographic that gets you frustrated. And this is what it means not just to dwell well, right? But actually be mobilized to actually move towards something. Praise Jesus for the missionaries and the people who thought it faithful to come and dwell here in East Tennessee to give us the gospel, to give us access to the gospel. That is the type of, of just motivation and agitation that should be in our heart that we are going someplace to the ends of the earth. And so if you're a dad in here, if you are a mom in here, if you are a middle schooler or a high schooler or a college student in here, if you're a single person, if you do not have this phrase embedded in your heart that it is our job, your job, to go to the ends of the earth, pray to Jesus that somehow it will be supplanted in your heart and you will be irritated and you will not be able to get it out, that we are responsible with this life-giving gospel, this good news of Jesus to every man, woman, and child that is our mission. It's not, to be, it's not to be comfortable. It's not to just to build homes. It's not just to be nice people. It's to go. And as an organization, we want to give you guys all kinds of, of, of opportunities to do this. It is our heartbeat because we were planted, because we were sent out to continue to send out and to commission. Over the next hundred years, we want to commission moms and dads and high schoolers and community groups. And we want to commission you guys not just to dwell here, to be commissioned out. That is what we are all about. It's amazing to us when we look at Jesus' ministry that he never makes it past Galilee, Capernaum. You know, just somewhere up north, right? He's in the hill country. He's in Appalachia, right? He just never makes it out of, out of that region. And yet Jesus says, you are going to do something that I did not do. You're going to go to places that I've never put my feet on the ground. That's strong. God will make his appeal through us.
The same thing with John the Baptist. The greatest, I mean, quote, the greatest prophet that the world has ever known. And yet Jesus says the least of these will be greater than John the Baptist. John the Baptist was just a prophet. And I don't mean that in any slanderous terms. But he did not have access to the things that we have access to. Mainly the post-resurrected spirit of Jesus who is living in us. He had a strong prophetic voice. But the least of us in here will be greater than John the Baptist. Because we have the power of the power that raised Jesus from the dead living in us. And so moving into communion, I'd like to read um, Luke 24. Because again, the last chapter of Luke and the first um, chapter of Acts, they go together. So Luke 24. He ends his gospel like this. Verse 44 and following. And he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still here that everything written about me in the law and Moses and prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he opened up their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and then on the third day rise from the dead. And that repentance and forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. Jesus doesn't leave without understanding that he, is, he wants to penetrate all the nations. You are my witnesses of these things. Picking up on Acts 1, you, you kind of hear that, that iteration there. And behold, I am sending the promise of the Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed and powered from up on high. That's the Holy Spirit. Verse 50. And he led them out as far as Bethany and lifted up his hands and blessed them. And while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. That's what we call the ascension. He was just raised up and he went into heaven. Verse 52. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they were continually in the temple blessing God. Verse 52, you should kind of circle or highlight for this very reason. We cannot be on mission for God until we are worshiping God himself. The way that Acts truly starts is that it starts with a great worship service, with their hearts full of joy and blessing God for what he has done. We cannot be on duty for God until we have our great delight in him. We can't be sent out by him until we worship and we pray and we sing to him. And so verse 52, and they worshiped him and they returned to Jerusalem with great joy and they were continually in the temple blessing God. This should be our posture. Our posture of praise should precede our posture of duty and mission. So before we are on mission, our hearts truly need to become alive in what Jesus has done for us. So before you talk up Jesus, you need to be talking to Jesus. Before you tell others about him, you need to allow him to marinate in your own heart and your mind. So the disciples look to him and says, will you? And he looks to them and says, no, you will. But ultimately, he says, then I will. Acts chapter 1 tells us that there will be a promise that Jesus will return. And so like we, pray, or like we sang just now, 
that Jesus is the triumphant one and he is the victorious one. And it is his triumph and his victory that will motivate us to be on mission for him. It's our call to call you up to something that is so very uncomfortable. It's our call to call you up to something that's risky, to spend your life, to extend your life into other people's lives for the sake of the gospel. Because we see in our communion table that Jesus has given his life for us. We'll see if it reaches. And so the, the night that Jesus was betrayed, and Jesus um, took a piece of bread and he broke it right in front of them. And he says, this is my body given for you. He then takes a chalice of wine. And so this, don't forget the Passover. This, this, this last supper was a great celebration. And so he takes just, I mean, this, 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 this liquid that was just, I mean, meant for celebration and meant for party and just evoked all kinds of good things, nourishment and sustenance and joy. And he redefines these things. And he says, this is my body given for you. And then he says, this is my body, or this is my blood poured out for you. And then he has a strong phrase. He says, for the forgiveness of sins. Before we can be on mission, we have to know the person and work of Jesus. And the reason that Jesus came was not to be your buddy. Jesus didn't come to answer all of your prayer requests. Jesus didn't come just to be a good teacher. Jesus came to forgive your sins. There's something that you cannot erase. There's something that you cannot do without. And it is this idea that you can't dodge sin, but the person of Jesus can. He can come and he can give his life for us and therefore forgive us and make us pure. And so this meal is for our family. Right? This, is a, this, is, this is, has always been a family meal. And so that's what we do here at Redstone is we take a family meal. If, you've, if this is the first time, this will be a little bit different in that you're going to see everybody come and just gather around. We've got uh, three or four stations in the back. I will be up front uh, serving communion. But then you're going to see the, these families or these community groups or these couples kind of gathering just for a moment, just to pause and just to reflect that before we can be on mission, before we can be sent out, we really have to worship Jesus for who he is. And so that's what we're doing. We're just pausing every week. Uh, we don't have a traditional kind of altar call where one or two people respond. We believe that every time the gospel is presented, we all have to have to respond in some way. Either, Jesus, I believe in you or I don't. If you believe in Jesus this morning, just know that this meal is for you. If you don't know Jesus, if you haven't asked him to forgive you your sins, you are to put you right with God, we just would we'd love to have a conversation with you. So find us after the service or fill out a connect card or something like that. All right, so we've got servers in the back and uh, they are here to serve you. So before uh, we take communion, let me pray for us and then we'll, we'll take communion. Father, you have built us to be worshipers. That's what you've asked us to be to worship you, to feel, to be delighted in you. There's a, a pastor that says that the, the reason that, that mission exists is because worship is absent. Help us now to fill in the void, not with our duty. God, you have done great things and we praise you for that, but to fill in the gaps with our worship and with our praise for what you have done for us. This meal, this communion, 
This time of reflection, Jesus, can be a powerful moment in all of our lives where we can step forward and say, Jesus, you have done great things. Help us to worship you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. So go ahead and stand. Just know that these men are in the back. I'm going to serve you communion. I'll be up front here in a second.